0: Hi, welcome to this episode of Live. I'm Tracy Wallace. I'm technically the host of this, although this is really going to be a conversation more than something that's hosted. But uh, I'm here with literally my uh, good friend Keith and we're gonna talk about what each other knows. We're gonna talk about cloud, we're gonna talk about networking, we're gonna look at, hey, what do networking people wanna know about cloud and, and what do we, us cloud people, really wanna know about networking? And this is being streamed across a variety of platforms. I need to look, because otherwise I'll forget. We've got LinkedIn, Facebook, YouTube, Twitter, and Twitch. So if you're joining us on any or even all of those, great to have you here. Also, this is a QA and a session. We've got some questions we're gonna ask each other, but we're also absolutely hoping to get some questions for you if you're a networking person. What are some questions you've got about the cloud? And if you're a cloud person, what are some questions you might have about networking? So I'm gonna go ahead, and I am going to let Keith introduce himself. Many of you that watch our INE shows, you probably already know Keith, but Keith, go ahead and introduce yourself.
1: Thanks, Tracy. So yeah, hey everybody, I'm, uh, I'm Keith Bogart. And I've been with INE for several years. Uh, my specialties are creating courses for CCNA and CCNP and, and a few scattered CCIE courses. So, yeah, networking is my thing. This is the cloud guru. Uh, so, I think this is going to be a great opportunity for those of you who might know a lot about one thing but very little about the other side of the fence to get more of a blended approach and get some of those questions answered. So, please, even though Tracy and I have questions to ask each other, we're really relying on you to ask us some good creative questions as well.
0: Absolutely. And you know, one thing that to me, this is a natural conversation to have because this came about for us literally being in the hallway Mm -hmm. and me hearing these discussions that you all have that frankly scare me, Uh, but then also as I should, and but also having some questions coming from y'all about like just fundamentally, what is cloud? How does it work? And I mean, honestly, even this morning right we had this conversation about some things that cisco's doing and yeah. and and how that works within the cloud and that's what we're going to talk about and because i uh, volunteered to go and be uh the host of this which again is is nothing more than the fact that i read that intro script uh i get to ask the first question right and from my perspective like you know when it comes to networking. It's it's all about connecting these networks up, right? Networking within the cloud, and we'll probably talk about this a little bit, is is actually pretty straightforward. It's really simple to set up, right? But then we talk about, okay, so we need to connect up to that on-prem environment, right? You hear all over the place, hybrid cloud or hybrid networking, right? So what I wanna do is I'm gonna get that perspective, like just from a pure on-prem, right? So if you're connecting up a WAN environment, a wide area network environment, mm-hmm. right? How do you do that? Is it Typically over private circuits. Is it typically over, uh, you know, the public internet with some kind of VPN?
1: What's what's the what do you see out there? Well, a lot of it really depends on two factors, um, three factors. Number one, how much money you have to spend. Fair. Um, you know, a, a lot of companies don't have a big WAN budget for really expensive optical circuits or or even MPLS circuits. They will just opt to connect. To use their same internet connection for their WAN connection between the remote offices as well. And they'll just, as their traffic goes through the internet, they'll do it in like VPN tunnels or something to keep it uh, encrypted and confidential. Uh, So there's the cost factor, but there's also the security factor. You know, uh, clearly if you're sending traffic across the internet, it's going to be less secure than a dedicated private WAN. Uh, And then there's also the latency factor. You know, when traffic is going through the internet from headquarters to remote offices, who knows what's going to ha- impact that traffic and you know, are you going to get guaranteed uh, latency and throughput for your voice and your video? No, you're not. It's going across the internet. So, uh, you have to balance those three things to figure out, do I want to use the internet as my WAN or do I want to purchase some sort of you know, leased WAN service from a WAN service provider which will give you those additional things of security and guaranteed latency.
0: Awesome, now, you, we, we sort of set this up, so we're gonna go back and forth, but I'm gonna ask you another question. And this is literally from me kind of walking the hallways and listening to, uh, particularly our Cisco instructors, as they just speak in this language of protocols that kind of blows me away. What are some of the protocols, when you're setting up this, this WAN topology, right, mm-hmm. where you're connecting up these remote systems, what kinds of protocols are using and and thinking about that, that infamous OSI, uh, you know, layer model, what Mm -hmm. what layer do those protocols typically, are your engineers typically working
1: with? Great question. Uh, So referencing the OSI model for everything, you know, clearly you've got some, something going on at layer one, uh, which could be uh, physical cabling, connecting your laptops and PCs and servers to physical switches. Uh, In a lot of networks these days, when it comes to the actual end hosts, like your laptops and your PCs, there's no cabling anymore. Everything is Wi-Fi. So, you know, Wi-Fi is also at the physical layer. You're talking about you know electromagnetic radiation, radio frequencies. So you got that. Then at layer two of the OSI model, the data link layer, probably the most common protocol you're going to hear about is Ethernet. Okay, so. Um, when you're talking about cable technology, it's it's Ethernet at layer two. And you really don't have to think about that. You don't really have to configure that. It's just, you know, you got an Ethernet jack on your PC. You got another Ethernet jack on the switch. You cable it up and it just works. And then at layer three of the OSI model is where you have all of your dressing, right? Every single device, whether it be a PC or a laptop uh, or something wireless, like, you know, your smartphone that's connected to the company Wi-Fi or a tablet, everything has to have unique identifiable number as you know that's you if someone wants to talk to you that's the address they send their data to and that's what we call the ip address so every device has to have at least one ip address and uh, then as we go higher up the chain now we start talking about the network infrastructure devices depending on how large a company is and how they sort of divided their network up into sections and segments They might have, for example, a bunch of switches and routers to help direct the traffic across the most optimum paths to implement uh, security so that, you know, maybe payroll is allowed to send whatever they want to marketing, but they're not allowed to send any traffic to engineering. So they'll have features and protocols in place to do all of that. So that actually blends into a question I want to ask you which was, you know, clearly in the world of cloud, we don't have cables we have to worry about. So we're not really talking about Wi-Fi or Ethernet, um, but we are talking about, you know, IP and above that. So one thing I wanted to ask you was, you know, one thing that's a primary concern in the wired networking world is if I'm gonna have groups of users, like I said, payroll, marketing, whatever, uh, I might be concerned about what traffic is allowed to pass from one group to another and there's ways to do that in the wired world. In the cloud, if I have a bunch of virtual machines dedicated for payrolls use, and another bunch of virtual machines dedicated for uh, marketing's use, are there mechanisms as well there to dictate what can flow where and how it can flow? Absolutely, and first of all, uh, I do wanna point
0: out that A, Keith managed to work the term electromagnetic into our conversation, which is fantastic. And for those of you that are cloud, that may not be familiar with the OSI model, that is literally the best easy definition you're gonna get of that lower edge of the the OSI model. But you know, what's really cool about this is that in the cloud, uh, that segmentation, right? Because we talk about network segmentation, you hear that in cybersecurity as well, Mm -hmm. is is actually really natural. And generally speaking, it kind of comes in two levels. You've got, depending on which provider you're going with, and we typically talk about, really, frankly, more Azure and AWS, because they are the biggest providers that you'll see uh, in the West. They're actually the bigger, biggest providers really in the world. Uh, but the same is true for Google Cloud and, and some others, is you have this concept of a network, all right? And you can have more than one network. And it's not a physical thing, they're all logical. Because exactly like you said, we're not touching the physical in the cloud at all. Right, but so what we have is we have these things that we refer to as networks, or in Azure, they're called virtual networks, in uh, AWS and also in Google Cloud, they're called uh, VPC. uh, VPCs, almost forgot, uh, virtual private clouds. Thank you, the, the networking guy uh, helped me out there on what they're <laughs> called in the cloud. Uh, virtual private clouds, they're the same things. And then those are then broken into subnets. right? And yeah. it's really interesting because I know like in the on-prem world, like subnetting is kind of a big deal, right? And you know, you're doing all that. It's just there. It's like, you don't you don't put a virtual machine or what's called an EC2 in AWS. You don't put it out there unless it's in a subnet, right? So we have these subnets. Those subnets are part of virtual networks, either virtual networks or VPCs. And the way it works by default is that within a given VPC or a given virtual network, you're gonna allow the communication between all those subnets, right? So I could have 100 subnets in the same VPC or the same virtual network and they can communicate. But there's no communication between your virtual networks or VPCs, right? So if if I needed to say, look, I need to segment this, we have a hard stop between, I think you said marketing and engineering, Um, fine, we're gonna go for the the assets that they need. We're gonna set up these two different VPCs or these two different virtual networks, and we're gonna put their assets there. We're gonna put their virtual machines. We're gonna put their EC2s. By the way, EC2 is just a virtual machine that's running in AWS. I don't wanna throw too many of these uh, acronyms out there without describing them. Uh, And so you've got this workload running. I've got a workload running in one VPC, virtual private cloud or virtual network, for engineering, I have a marketing workload, and they just, they can't talk, mm-hmm. unless I decide to link them up. And there's ways that we can link them up, there's peering, there's gateways that we can use to link them up. Okay. But even beyond that, what we have at uh, multiple layers, and it, it, this kind of depends a little bit on the provider, mm-hmm. is we have essentially network ACLs. Now, in some cases, they're actually called network ACLs, in some cases, they're called network security groups or just security groups, but what they're doing is they're acting as a uh, five-tuple firewall, right? What's your protocol? What's your IP address or address ranges, What's your port range or ranges, is? Uh, source and destination, right? And so we can set those up, first of all, to control. So even if we had one VPC, conceptually, we could have virtual network, or excuse me, we could have subnets set up that are, in fact, uh, segmented, and we're setting up these rules that say, you know what, yeah, you're in the same VPC. Normally you'd be able to communicate, but we're not letting you do that. Got it. Um, and then the other thing that we can do is we can set up routing rules.
1: Okay, that okay. that, yeah, that's great.
0: Yeah, and uh, so, you know, that's, that's kind of, how do you do that uh, for, all right, I kind of know the answer to this, but I also know this is something if you're not knee deep in networking, right? How do you do that on the on-prem side? And I know for you networking people out there, you're groaning that I'm asking this question, but it is something that somebody that's coming up from the cloud may not be aware. How do you do that segmentation at the lowest level within the on-prem environment? Sure, that's
1: another great question. So uh, for on-premise networks, you really have to, what I think of is I first divide the network into two pieces. You've got the traffic, where the source and the destination of that traffic is all within your local network. So I'm I'm sort of envisioning a building with multiple floors and each floor is segmented into different subnets and stuff. So we have some traffic that's gonna stay in that building, the source and destinations all in that building. And then you have other traffic that's going to leave the building, either going to AWS or to ine.com or wherever it's going. So for traffic that is staying within the building, Uh, the first step of segmentation is saying, okay, do I want to have every single device in one subnet? Now, most of the time, the answer would be no to that, because if you put every device in the same IP subnet, and then you start saying, well, you know, it's okay for John's PC to talk to Sally, but it's not okay for John to talk to, you know, Thomas. You can do that, but it's difficult if everybody's in one subnet. Uh, So usually you break out your network into multiple subnets. Uh, It could be some people do it based on device type. You know, I'll put all of my IP phones in one subnet. I'll put all my laptops in another. Uh, Sometimes it's based on the role the device is playing. Like we talked about, all of engineering might be in one subnet, all of payroll. So that's step number one is to segment via subnets and then each subnet has a default gateway. So somewhere in that grouping of devices that's sharing that common subnet, there's a device called a router. It could be a switch that's performing routing, but we'll just call it a router. And that router is where you can really implement, like you talked about, access lists, very common usage. Uh, Put access lists on the router to decide what traffic can go where. So that's probably the most common way of doing segmentation traffic control within the enterprise, within the campus, is by using routers and or switches that can do routing and implementing access lists now for the traffic that's leaving the building and going out to the internet and coming back typically you'll have a device like a firewall uh cisco asa firewall or something like that and the firewall will be in control of what's allowed to come out what's allowed to come back and a lot of times they will also use access lists as well uh in other cases sometimes with a firewall the firewall you might set it up and say okay uh, I've got two interfaces in the firewall. One interface leads into my building, one interface leads out. And what I'm gonna do is just by the sort of the name and, and the you know the priority of these interfaces, I'll say, well, anything that's coming in, the interface that's coming from my building is allowed to come in and allowed to leave. And, and we'll watch for reply back, right? If it's someone's going to INE, we'll watch that traffic back and we'll allow it. But if something's coming in my outside interface, the interface that leads to the outside world, If that's not in response to something, we won't allow it. And you don't even necessarily need to configure a complex firewall or a complex ACLs for that, it's just the nature of the interface. Stateful, Uh, it's a a stateful firewall.
0: What's pretty cool about that is we actually have a very similar concept in Cloud. Right? So, you know, I was mentioning the fact that we've got in cloud, we've got this idea of a VPC or a virtual network, and then we have subnets, and all that traffic's just kind of naturally there, right? And that's mm-hmm. really what you would think of as kind of your private networking. But there is that that external access, right? And, you know, what's interesting about the cloud, the cloud is built public, if you will, right? Like you have to go through the internet to get to your cloud, or you go over a private circuit if you're using something like Direct Connect mm-hmm. or ExpressRoute. But, you know, it, it's it's by definition public, and that's, that's where cloud grew up. And so we have this concept of public access, accessing the internet. And it's actually very similar because certainly, like, within Azure, mm-hmm. by default, unless you change it, if I spin up a virtual machine in a subnet, in a virtual network in Azure, it's going to be able to get out. Right, Mm -hmm. so if it needs to go out to an API that's sitting out somewhere on the internet, that's by default allowed, right? And in AWS, I can add a uh, internet gateway or some other options and allow that, right, without allowing any internal or any external communication inward, right? And so, but if I want that external communication, and here's where I think it's a little bit different. Depending on what I'm doing, I can say, you know what? Uh, Azure, I want a public IP address for this virtual machine, or I want a public IP address for this storage account, or if you're uh, in AWS, I want a public IP for this uh, S3 bucket, right? Okay. And uh, it's just there. Like, I don't then have to go to a firewall and say, hey, I want traffic that's coming in, because that's essentially what the cloud provider is doing for me. Got it. I just say, hey, yeah, I kind of need a public endpoint for this. Can, mm-hmm. can you just go ahead and do that? And they say, yes you're gonna pay them for
1: it, but it's it's just there and it's you know, kind of automatic. Something you said earlier, I'm sorry, this is not a question I pre-written for you, oh, but it's a question that just came up in my mind. So you were talking about, I'll use Azure terminology. You were talking about how in Azure, you create a, a virtual network, which is a collection of virtual machines, you know, servers and stuff like that. And you said that within that virtual network, you could have everything in one subnet or you could have it divide up into multiple subnets. And then you said you could also have more than one virtual network. So I guess my question is, um, if I can have one virtual network with a bunch of virtual things in it, and within that one virtual network have different subnets, 1010, 1020, 1030, whatever, why would I want to create another virtual network? In other words, what's the benefit? Because as I said, I could have the 1010 network in virtual network one. 1020 network in virtual network two and so on and so forth. Or I could say I'm just gonna have virtual network one and put all my different subnets in there. Why would I choose one over the other? That's,
0: that's actually a great question. And there's a couple different answers to that. And the answer to that depends to some extent on the provider you're using. And I'm gonna step a little out of my comfort zone because uh, I'm gonna talk about like the three different primary providers that you'll see AWS, Azure, and Google Cloud. One reason to set up multiple virtual networks or multiple VPCs is regionality, right? Mm -hmm. So in AWS, and Azure, um, a virtual network or VPC is tied to a region, right? So if I'm global and I have some servers that are in East US and I've got some servers that are in Japan, I'm going to have two different virtual networks just Mm -hmm. by definition of the way it works. Interestingly enough, with uh, Google Cloud, I believe it's Google Cloud, if it's AWS and not Google Cloud, I apologize to my AWS folks, but um, you actually could do it where you've got one VPC and then you've got regional subnets, which is interesting. So then it says, okay, beyond regionality, why might I want to have multiple uh, virtual networks? One, it could be a fail safe, right? Mm -hmm. You're just like, look, we are never connecting these and if somebody messes up a uh, in Azure a network security group or a uh, security group in AWS and they let traffic through, they shouldn't. You know, we're still not going to talk, right? And so it's giving you that hard divide. And it may be even something where you want a uh, an emergency switch, right? So okay, yeah, I'm going to let these these two environments connect, but I want to be able to chop that connection with just one action if I need to do that, right? And so having them separated out. The other reason that you might have them separated out, and this is probably less important at the VPC slash virtual network level, is for management purposes, right? I may in fact, actually no, it is just as important here as it would be any resource. Never mind, I said not as important. Okay. But you know, I may have different teams, different infrastructure teams that are responsible for different networking, Mm -hmm. right? So maybe my R&D uh, division has their own IT staff and they are responsible for managing those, right? Okay. And then I've got, you know, my, my marketing maybe falls under my general IT. And so I want different people having different rights. And that's one reason why you separate out different resources is so that you can then uh, assign, you know, and you're always working with that least privilege at that uh, concept. So those would be the general reasons for it that you might see. Uh, Again, regionality, um, being able to have that hard stop on connectivity, uh, and also, oh, and there's one other, but it's not a good one, but I'll I'll bring it up anyways. Um, And then the other thing would be the management. The, The other reason you might do it, but I'd consider it not as good of a reason, is if you have, for whatever reason, overlapping IP addresses. Right. And I mean, maybe you've got a dev environment, right? Mm -hmm. You're building up your systems in a dev environment. You want the IP addressing to be an exact mirror of what you have in production. So you're going to have to put those in different virtual networks or VPCs. All right. That makes sense. Awesome. All right. I am going to go back. Uh, We actually have a question. So we've gotten a question come in. Don't hesitate to add some questions. And this is a question for you. Uh, Keith, uh, this is from Igo. hopefully I'm pronouncing that right, uh, on YouTube. And he asks, any information on the, or about the new upcoming Cisco multi-cloud
1: specialist certs? No is okay? No. Okay, <laughs> there I, we go. Kn- I know it exists. I know it's a new exam that's coming out. I think, I'm not sure if it's September or later than that, but I have not looked at it, so I don't know what topics are in there. And oh. I don't know how much of that would be on the networking side to develop content for versus the cloud side to develop yeah. content for? So that's a great question. Yeah, I do know we're looking at
0: that. And it's it's something that, you know, one of the things we're doing, a little, little plug for INE here, uh, one of the advantages of the fact that we are a smaller training organization is that I literally sit near, I'm, I'm in the cloud and I'm cyber, I'm sitting near the folks in networking, we can just sit down and have a talk, right? Yeah. And so, you know, one of the things we're looking to do moving forward is, is to do more of these overlap, because that's where so many, uh, you know, we're hearing from so many of our customers mm-hmm. that they need that training, yeah. right? And so, yeah, that's something that uh, definitely comes through. Uh, I've got uh, another question, uh, Igo. Again, hopefully I am uh, setting your name right. This one's actually for me. Uh, uh, I go asks, does VPC support load balancing and inactive active uh, mode and the answer is yes Um, but it's also not just yeah okay that's at the vpc the vpc itself doesn't however there are a lot of resources that are going to give you load balancing Uh, for example you have uh, a very complex term here uh, that they use a load balancer okay it's not really complex Um, you can go into any one of the providers and you can say hey you know what uh, I need a uh, load balancing option for uh, these things, for these for this service. I've got a service, it's running, we have these things called availability zones, which really, uh, I, I can be in a region, regions are divided into availability zones, and this is pretty much across providers, and the idea being that, hey, um, if your data center goes down, I want my app to still run, mm-hmm. right? So I put the app into multiple, uh, availability zones is what they're called. And so what you can do is you would put a load balancer in front of that, right? And depending Mm -hmm. on the load balancer that you use, depending on the settings that you have for it, depending on how much you're willing to pay for it, you have different options. Like you could go, for example, active-active, you could go active-passive as well. Mm -hmm. Um, And another thing, and this kind of goes to a conversation I want to bring up eventually, um, which is the fact that, you know, from my perspective, I, I always look at what the cloud providers provide, right? So I've got as a cloud provider, I'm or not as a cloud provider, but as a cloud customer, I'm going in and I need to uh, connect up to an on-prem environment. So I'm gonna go and I'm gonna create a uh, VPN gateway and it might be called slightly different things, but across the board, you can go to the providers and say, you know what, i want to spin up a VPN gateway mm-hmm. and I wanna connect it to your on-prem environment, right? And then I'm going to get things, and you talk about load balancing. That's where you start talking about having, you know, multiple tunnels and having active-active, possibly active-passive, usually active-active tunnels uh, going between your on-prem or, or even another cloud, right, mm-hmm. in between clouds. Um, but you know, that's what the cloud vendors provide, right? But you know, tell me a little bit about what we were talking about today, because I think this really comes up and, and comes into that question.
1: Sure, so we're talking about like the connectivity from the on-premise back to the cloud? Yeah. Yeah, so So I've been digging into this, um, and so from what I've been seeing is that, you know, a very common way to connect into Azure or uh, AWS resources is that on the on-premises side, at the WAN edge, which is, you know, the last device in your network that connects to your WAN service provider, you'll have either a firewall or maybe a router. It'll be one of those two things. And on that thing, so if, if your WAN edge is just connecting to the internet, that's just your internet service, then that device, that router, that firewall will be the one that's in charge of being the other end of the IPSec VPN tunnel back to your you know, Azure Virtual Gateway or your AWS Virtual Gateway, whatever it is. And then you know, Azure from, uh, and AWS will tell you, you know, here's the protocols we support, here's the, you know, the features that you can do, uh, so that's very common. And then another way is that, because we were talking about cost and security and scalability and things like that, is, you know is let's say that I have a company with 10 offices and they're all connected via an existing MPLS cloud. So I've I'm already got a contract with an MPLS service provider. So that service provider could also, using that same MPLS cloud, Give me connectivity back into Azure or AWS. I think they call that MPLS Direct Connect. And I'm going to interrupt you. Yes, 100%. Uh,
0: the the MPLS Direct Connect is for AWS, mm-hmm. and there's absolutely a mirror to that in Azure. It's called Express Route, and Express MPLS Route. is one of the options. So yeah, yeah, but that's absolutely it. You've already got that whole WAN topology. Just go ahead, connect it up, because you know. Yep. we all have
1: unlimited budgets so yep. you just connect it right up and we're good to go yeah exactly and and then i was also reading that you know sticking with that idea of having an MPLS cloud that you're using you've got some customers where you know they've got their their edge router at the edge of their customer premises and so they've got a cable being run into their building and that connects back to the MPLS service provider and then you have some other customers and i'm not sure how complex or costly it is to do this but they say hey you know what I actually want to install my own device, my own router in a facility that's co-located with Azure or AWS, so that instead of relying on the service provider doing all the MPLS for me, I will actually have a device at the other end of the MPLS cloud that I own, that I manage, that's sitting like in a cage or rack, maybe five feet away from the hardware that's actually owned and maintained by Azure AWS that connects back to them.
0: So the only thing, you're you're absolutely right with one little caveat. Mm-hmm. It, Azure and AWS don't actually have, they don't actually provide that direct MPLS access. Mm-hmm. It's a provider, but you can absolutely do that. So it, your story is absolutely right, mm-hmm. but if you were to go out and do this today, what you would do is you would contract, there are a, a lot of uh, providers mm-hmm. that are available, and you could go out and say, Yeah, I want to do exactly that. I want to do what was going to consider a co-location, right? And I'm going to put my device exactly what you said, but it is going to be with a a access provider. Mm -hmm. Um, And probably if you go, you can go to AWS, you can go to Azure, and you can look at their list of providers. And they've got multiple providers in every region. So if you're using one of the big providers, uh, you know, there's a pretty good chance that
1: they're going to be in in your area. Yeah, yeah. And then the thing that we were talking about today was uh, involving SD WAN technology. Where uh, I don't know how much those of you watching are familiar with SD WAN, but it's, it's this idea where you know before SD WAN existed, if I had a company with let's say twenty offices spread throughout the country, and I wanted uh, each one of those offices to have access to You know my vpc's in aws or my virtual networks in azure a very common way of doing that was that i would have one headquarters or i'd have one data center some on-premise data center somewhere in addition to my virtual resources in azure aws i'll just say azure um and a lot of times people would take would create vpn tunnels between the remote offices going to their data center because they'd say hey i want my i want everything terminating at my data center i want that to be my hub so I can enforce my policies, security, and everything like that. And then once it got to the data center, it basically have to hairpin back out again and have from the data center, have a VPN connection into Azure or AWS. And so the whole SD-WAN technology was, hey, why don't we do this? Why don't we have uh, that sort of hub idea being another virtual private cloud, another VPC that we create within AWS We'll have this thing called the the VManage, which is the device that sort of orchestrates all of SD-WAN. We'll have it create this VPC. That VPC will then have a connection to your other VPCs that have your email servers, your web servers, whatever. And then all of your remote offices will connect to that VPC that SD-WAN created to get into those resources um yeah and you know what's actually pretty cool Mm -hmm. is that and we had
0: this conversation exactly about that i I really wanted to talk about because i think that's really cool particularly because and and i'll speak more from the azure side of things Mm -hmm. the clouds also have their own version of uh virtual wan in fact it's Mm -hmm. called in azure the virtual wan Mm -hmm. um not super creative but and and, you know what they're doing is a very similar thing to what you were talking about with was it the manage right yes where they're saying look we're going to give you a, a single place to manage this And it's going to give you all of your networking within Azure, but then you can also use it to set up those endpoints that you're connecting, whether they're through a VPN or ExpressRoute or Direct Connect, Mm -hmm. uh, it's going to help you set those up as well, right? And so it's kind of interesting because it says, look, you know, if you've got, for example, a globally distributed network, right, Mm -hmm. you're running that over somebody's wires. And essentially what the cloud providers are saying is, come on. Come run these on our on our wires. We'll be we'll be happy for you to pay for us to do that. Yeah. Um, and you know, one thing, and I joke about that a little bit, but you always do have to look. It's like, okay, what is the cost factor, right? And you know, when you're in the cloud, and that's you know, you hear the term finops or financial ops, mm-hmm. and that's important, particularly when we're starting to talk about this, right? Because you're paying for that network traffic under many circumstances, mm-hmm. right? In ways that you're not thinking about necessarily if you're on premises mm-hmm. uh, natively. Right, and you know when you make a decision, do I want to stand up that uh, Cisco uh, Edge server in Azure? Right, um, that endpoint. Uh, I got to understand there's going to be a cost associated with that, and it's probably a higher cost than if I was just to go with the native, say, VPN gateway that I've got the capability of using in the providers. Mm-hmm. But it's giving you more, right? And you know, one of the things I know, you know, Keith, you would ask me about. Was uh, you know QoS and mm-hmm. and being able to uh, really go to your traffic and say hey I want this traffic prioritized over that traffic, mm-hmm. and you don't really have that internally on the network within the cloud providers. And there's some things you can do. You see some stuff on prioritization, but it's very different than what maybe you're thinking about as you know a, a on-prem network engineer, right? So. Uh, you know, that goes into the decision. Do, do I need to be able to do that? Okay, then I'm gonna incur maybe that additional cost that I'm gonna need to incur so I get that Cisco technology so that it's part of what I'm already using as my SD-WAN mm-hmm. environment. Um, and that that goes into the decisions you need to make, right? We've got these things. And you know, that actually reminds me of of a question I've got for you. Like. A, a big thing that you're, you're going to do on the cloud side is you're gonna set up that connectivity, right? And you're gonna set up the connectivity to uh, your on-prem environment. And um, you know, there's essentially two different ways you're gonna do that. and It's just like setting up a standard WAN. You're either gonna go over a private circuit, which is very much what Keith was just talking about, or you're gonna go over the internet with a VPN gateway. Mm-hmm. And um, you know, a, a question I've had, and this is probably a dumb question, but it's, it's just something I sort of think about. Right, when we go and on the cloud side, when we set up a VPN gateway, right, you've got your IPsec, what is it? Phase one, phase two, IPsec mm-hmm. settings, and there's all kinds of different options that you've got for those. diff there, I can say diff I know that mm-hmm. one, right? Um, and you've got that, and there's also, uh, you know, you can set up BGP. But my question is, particularly on that IPsec, mm-hmm. like how much in, on the networking side, on the, on the on-prem side, how much variability is there really? Are you normally just going, okay, I'm taking that option every single time I'm going, or are you like, oh, okay, we've got two different devices from two different vendors, it's got a narrow overlap, so I'm gonna have to do all this stuff to configure these, these IPSec settings differently
1: every time I set up a, a connection? Um, well, you definitely, what you just said about having a multi-vendor uh, topology is very important, because you're right, if if I'm not an all Cisco shop, if I got Cisco, Juniper, other stuff, you're right, I'm going to be limited in finding those sets of IPsec encryption algorithms and authentication algorithms that they share, that they do. Um, and then another factor is what type of company you are. For example, if you are a you know small to medium sized business, it might not really matter that much uh, what type of... Uh, authentication and and encryption you do from site one to site two but then again if you are the department of defense right or the nsa or some federal government well then you probably have very strict restrictions on what algorithms you use for different things so the nature of your business um also who i'm talking to for example if i there's you know what i select for example if i'm creating an ipsec tunnel between my remote site one and my remote site two maybe I don't have to bother with complex things like digital certificates and things. Maybe just a simple pre-shared password between the two of them will take care of the authentication piece. But then again, if I'm doing an IPSec tunnel between my authentication and uh, between my site and a partner's site who I don't really trust that well because they're not me after all, well then I might want to ramp it up a little bit and have more complex stuff. So it really depends on, like you said, what your um, hardware supports, uh, who you're talking to and what restrictions may exist within your line of industry.
0: That's, that's cool because one thing, for those of you that are networking folks and you're setting this up with the uh, cloud providers is you are gonna have to look because cloud provider is a different vendor, mm-hmm. right? Now, I will tell you, I'm an Azure person. Uh, I will say that from my experience, uh, AWS a while ago, at least honestly, I haven't looked at it in the last few months. Had a few more of those options that uh, you would expect to find, but certainly Azure, which initially, honestly, with Azure, you had no initially no control over the IPsec settings. Mm. It was just like here they are; you need to map to these on your on your end, right? Mm. Now we have that configuration in Azure as well. But I, I know for some of the options that uh, when we've done this and gone through this and set it up, there were a few more options available in the AWS side. Again, that may have evened out because certainly all the cloud providers are iterating all the time. Mm-hmm. But uh, that's interesting. Hey, we've got a couple more uh, questions. Love having these questions come in. Uh, this one is for me uh, from Richard Munez, Munez Sorry, Munoz. Sorry about that, Richard. Uh, Asked on LinkedIn, what types of firewalls are available in the cloud? That is a fantastic mm-hmm. question. And the answer to that is, Uh, I I would put it into three different categories, and this is pretty much across vendors, okay? Um, Actually, I would say four. You've got the basic ACL, networking group, right? That's the most fundamental. It's based on your five tuple, your source IP address range, your source port range, your protocol or protocols, and then the destination IP and port, right? And you can set those up and there's different places, and and the vendors vary a little bit, the cloud vendors vary a little bit in where you set those up, but it's pretty consistent, right? And then you also typically have a more advanced uh, firewall capability that the cloud provider, so I can go into Azure, for example, and say, hey, I wanna use the Azure Firewall. And that's gonna give me an OSI layer four firewall. And so that means that I'm looking at filtering traffic, again, primarily actually based on IP address and ports, but a little more sophisticated so I can do things, for example, like, uh, you know, DNS domain filtering, mm-hmm. right? And and you get a few more advantages. But then you also have that top level, that application level, or if you're a networking person, that layer seven uh, firewalling. And then this is available, again, across the different vendors. Now, they they implement it differently uh, depending on the vendor, but it's it's, very similar things in terms of what the capabilities are. And this is gonna give you better firewalling. So this is gonna give you things like, if, if you're a security person, you're probably familiar with OWASP and it is an acronym. And uh, I don't wanna try and embarrass myself and put out the acronym there. Uh, I probably have my teammates uh, furiously uh, slacking me right now. This is what it means, you should know this. I should, but OWASP, uh, O-W-A-S-P. And that's an organization that keeps track of the most common attacks on web-based applications and APIs. And so you can, for example, say, look, if I'm in Azure, and same thing in AWS, and say, you know, I wanna protect against these common things, so things like SQL injection, things like cross-site scripting, all right? And you know what, I don't wanna to have to build all that into my application, so I'm gonna put this firewall, this layer seven firewall that's gonna go a little deeper into the packets that are coming across, and, and be able to control what's going on. So you've got your very basic level, which is that ACL level. You've got a little more sophisticated at uh, a firewall level, kind of still layer four. Uh, and then you've got that top layer, that application level, that layer uh, seven, which is typically, not always, typically focused on HTTP, HTTPS, which makes sense because that's gonna be the predominant protocol that you're gonna see, uh, typically that's coming in over a public endpoint. And then the other option that you have is what we were talking about before. If none of that works for you or if you have a shop where you're like, you know what, we use Cisco products or uh, you know what, we use F5, right? Then you are almost certainly gonna find a firewall from the vendor of your choice available to run as a virtual server, right? Either a V, uh, excuse me, an EC2 or a virtual machine, uh, depending on the provider, it's what it's called. But you'll be able to use that, right? And for example, I've set up PFSense. I'm very proud of myself that I can set up PFSense in the mm-hmm. cloud uh, as a as a firewall, right? As a reverse proxy firewall kind of situation. So, uh, you know, what you're gonna do is you're gonna go in and, uh, you know, if, again, if you're really looking for that uh, non-cloud vendor solution, it's probably there, right, so you have really a wide range of firewalling options. All right, now, I'm gonna, this, this is, This is targeted to cloud, the next question, but I'm gonna gonna give it to you first. Uh, This is from Arun uh, Es on YouTube, and I am butchering names and I apologize for that. Uh, Do network guys need to learn scripting
1: for cloud technology? Do we need to learn scripting for cloud technology? Wow, that's a great question. Well, okay, if, if you are going to work for a company, and their expectation of your job role is number one, yes, you're gonna be the networking engineer. So you're gonna be in charge of, uh, you know, when new people come on board, giving them the Wi-Fi credentials. You're gonna be the one in charge of running new cables to people's laptops, racking and stacking, okay? If that's part of your job. And if they also say, we also want you to be the one who is familiar with, with Azure. So if somebody from engineering or somebody from payroll says, hey, we need uh, another uh, database, you're the one who's in charge of spinning it up. You're the one who's in charge of correcting the correct sizing and stuff like that. You're the one who's in charge of replicating it for backup purposes. Um, Now you correct me if I'm wrong here, but I imagine that a lot of that stuff could be handled in the background via scripting, right? Absolutely. And uh, so here's the deal, and this never ever happens.
0: Uh, I'm gonna give you my answer to that now. Okay, please Yes, the answer is yes. Uh, I never have a simple answer, but it's actually not that simple, right? Um, What Keith said is absolutely right. And you know, when you move into the cloud, and and this is a concept, you typically hear this concept when it's talking about security, but there's something called the shared responsibility model. Mm -hmm. And it's absolutely a security term, but it kind of applies here too with what you're talking about, Mm -hmm. right? I am never going to, as a cloud person, uh, I am never gonna rack or stack uh, in the cloud, right? That's, that's what the cloud providers do. So, what am I doing? I'm focusing on those things that are, uh, you know, application level, it could be things like virtual machines, virtual networking, right? But I'm not running cables, I'm not doing all that, so I have a different set of responsibilities, mm-hmm. right? And you're also talking about a different scale. Now, all the providers have user interfaces. They have, con- it's called a console in AWS, console, in Google Cloud it's called the portal and Azure these are
1: command line interfaces we're talking about
0: no these are actual visual interfaces okay right guis, uh, GUIs right? right i can go in and i go to the web and i go to you know was it console.cloud.aws.com um, i think or portal.azure.com i'll go with the one i'm a little more familiar with mm-hmm. and i get this visual interface and i can click through and i can get to things right however uh, for day-to-day operations for a lot there's things you're gonna want to do that monitoring I want to go and take a look at a log I want to take a look at a chart of performance right Mm -hmm. that's great but you know if I'm spinning up a virtual network or a VPC or I'm spinning up a virtual machine or a database right I want that to be a repeatable process in the cloud and there's so many tools for that may not be explicitly scripting okay it may be more of what is often referred to, and I don't like this term because I think it's misleading, but is often referred to as infrastructure as code, mm-hmm. okay? So you can set up, you set up a template, and you say, okay, here's what I want. And it's not, it's not a script, mm-hmm. right? It's, it's usually, it's either in, uh, it's in a data format, either JSON, JavaScript object notation, uh, or, or other formats. And uh, you say, okay, here's what I want. Here's, here's the settings that I want for my VPC. Here's the settings I want for my EC2s that are gonna go into the virtual networks on the VPCs. Go make this happen, mm-hmm. right? And then that and I get a repeatable process. And yeah. the vendors have theirs. I mentioned CloudFormation for AWS. In Azure, they have ARM templates and BICEP templates because they're just very humorous. Wow. Um, and uh, you've got a similar thing in Google Cloud, and there's also third-party solutions. Mm-hmm. Uh, a Very common one, for example, is Terraform. So you may not be scripting in the s- traditional sense, although you should learn that as well because all the providers have CLIs, uh, command line interfaces, mm-hmm. that you can use to uh, script your, your activities. But for a lot of the provisioning of resources, you're looking towards more of that templated deployment.
1: So it's it's kind of scripting, but kind of not. So and I, one thing I can add on to that too, because yeah. this just came to my, so right now we've been focusing on using scripting to manage and control your cloud resources in some way. Uh, but another thing that just came to me as far as networking, scripting, and cloud merged together is, you know, before the days of cloud, right? You You would have on-premise, your servers, which would do your network monitoring, right? You'd have something on premise that you might want to reach out periodically to your routers and, and switches and query them to see, you know, what's your packet count right now on your five interfaces? You know, what's your, your you know, show me the uptime of your interfaces. You know, what's your uh, internal temperature? There, there would be a variety of reasons why you might have a server on site that would have to periodically reach out and do maybe SLAs. You probably heard service level agreements. Um, And so, and certainly there are vendors out there who will sell you for a very high price. Very snazzy applications are GUI-based like Cisco DNA Center and stuff that you can install on your servers. But either A, you might not be able to afford that. And so you might say, you know what? What I wanna do, I can do with scripting. I can create Python scripts to do that. I don't need this expensive thing. Or maybe B, the, the applications are out there just don't quite fit the need that you have. So either way you say, you know what, I need to create these scripts in Python or or Ansible or something to query my devices for network health. Well now we have this idea where, hey, instead of having that server on site, we move it into the cloud. And so now you can have some server virtualized in a VPC or in a VNet. So now there you go. Now you've got your blending of the servers in the cloud. So you have to know the cloud to be able to build that server, to monitor that server, to maintain it. And you have to go into the cloud to program your scripts so that server in the cloud will be able to implement those scripts and reach out to your various devices.
0: Now, you know what's interesting about that, I'm gonna take that a little bit farther, and this is a topic that's not only germane to what we're talking about right here, and you you brought up the logging. One of the things that's interesting with the cloud is that you have logging by default. The cloud providers all have a certain level of logging, mm-hmm. and you can centralize that. Now, you also, in many cases, you have to configure it, right? But for the cloud, the cloud is that server that you were talking about. The cloud provider is that for the cloud services, Mm -hmm. right? And so you may go in and in fact, you may through a template say, hey, I am provisioning this uh, S3 bucket. I need to make sure that this S3 bucket is configured to log certain activity into CloudTrail uh, or CloudWatch, which are a couple different things. Or if you're on the Azure side, uh, I'm going to send things up into Azure Monitor, uh, mm-hmm. and um, you know, but but it's interesting because you have that built in, right? Mm-hmm. And what's really cool is across the providers, uh, even if you're running things on your own virtualized servers, so uh, EC2 and AWS or a virtual machine and Azure or in uh, Google Cloud, uh, you can actually add an agent and a fairly simple installation. In fact, can generally be done through a template, mm-hmm. and say, hey. Uh, I actually want this this instance to report its stuff directly into what we're already using to centralize our logging so it's kind of a neat thing that we've got it goes into the next question that was asked but it's not the next one I'm gonna answer Uh, I go hold on I'm gonna get your question because it's a good one but um, this is one that's it's pretty short and pretty technical and I hope I'm gonna get the answer exactly right because this is off the top of my head but I uh, Nerlin, and I am not going to attempt your last name on YouTube. asks, can you ex- could you explain the difference between Azure Express Route and Azure Private Peering? Fantastic question. So, Azure Express Route is that connectivity that, that Keith was talking about. It's that private circuit connectivity. You know, you say, look, we are using a lot of Azure, and for various reasons, and we've we've gone into the cost metrics and the security and the throughput that we want, uh, we want to have that private circuit. So uh, we're either gonna go, and, like I said, you know, pay someone to put our device co-located to pull their system in, or we're gonna pay someone to run that that cable uh, out to our shop, right? And we're gonna connect up, right? And so we're gonna have that, that private connection, okay? Now in, and because I said private connection, probably shouldn't have used that because you asked about private peering. So once I have that, that is Azure Express Route. That's what it is. It's that connectivity between your on-prem environment and your uh, Azure environment, okay? But then there's a couple of things that you can set up and they've changed this over the years. And it's one of those things, literally before I teach it, I always have to go look at the list to make sure I've got it right. I'm tempted to pull it up right now, but I'm not. Um, there's different, what are called types of peerings that go over that uh, that, uh, express route connection, okay? And what private peering does, and, and you would almost always have this active, is it says, look, uh, you want your private IP. So I've got, let's say, uh, you know, 10.100 uh, 16 networking sitting on-prem, right? And then I've got a 10.1 and 10.2 and a couple others sitting in Azure. Right? And what private peering would do is it would say, okay, anytime I'm on-prem and I'm going out to you know one of those uh, Azure private resources, go across this circuit. Go across this ExpressRoute circuit. So that's what private peering is. There's also, it used to be public peering and Microsoft peering. Now it's just, I think it's just Microsoft peering. Again, sorry, that's just off the top of my head. You can look it up, it's pretty easy to see. What that says is, hey, there's these public IP addresses that are part of the Microsoft Cloud. Like, if I spin up a storage account to store files in what's called blob storage, or I spin up a database, or if I'm using Microsoft 365 and I'm going into Exchange Online, Mm -hmm. the endpoints for those are all public endpoints. Okay, and so what the Microsoft Peering does, I know it's not your question, but I think it's the more interesting part of this. Mm -hmm. What the Microsoft Peering does is says, hey, when you're sitting on-prem, on the on-prem side of this ExpressRoute connection, and you go out to one of these ostensibly public endpoints, route that privately. Route that through ExpressRoute and have that connect up through the Azure uh, global network, okay? So that's hopefully that makes sense, that peering. And where Microsoft, frankly, it makes it a little more complex than it needs to be is they use the word peer in two completely unrelated ways. And I love Azure, I love Microsoft, but they do this where they'll use the same term multiple times to mean different things. So what you just asked about in that question was all about uh, peering across uh, that express route private circuit connection. Uh, the other peering would be uh, virtual network peering, where I've got two virtual networks and I just basically connect them up directly. Mm-hmm. That's also called peering. But I don't want to complicate it, but if you see that word, I want to make sure
1: you're clear on it. Could I ask you another question? Yes. So this is uh, something that as a networking person I would think about when it, I would wonder about when it comes to cloud. So, in the world of networking, if I have an on-premise data center, uh, let's say I've got ten servers, ten file servers in there doing various different things. So, those ten file servers, you know, each one of them is going to have some kind of a, you know, a connection, like a ten-gig connection back to probably a switch. And so, and then that switch is going to have other connections back to other switches and things. So, one of the things I'm going to have to, two things I'm going to be concerned about is number one. Um, selecting the appropriate bandwidth going into that data center. In other words, I have to think about, okay, this this switch here might have uh, slots where I can put in different types of GBICs or SFPs. I might be able to put in, maybe I say, well, I want 10 gigs going into my data center or 40 gigs, and that will dictate what type of connector I have to select on there. So that's number one, is selecting how much bandwidth do I need on these ports going into my data center. And then number two, I might be concerned that, well, of of the bandwidth coming into my data center, I don't want there ever to be a situation where there's like, you know, server number, all the traffic going to server number one is consuming all of that bandwidth. And so now people out there can't even get to server two and three because there's so much stuff going to server number one. So in QoS terminology, I might want to configure something called a policer where the, the policer is always looking at the traffic coming into my data center and it says, okay, I'm looking at all the traffic going to server number one. and as long as that traffic doesn't exceed you know 50% of my maximum bandwidth, I'll allow it in. But if some if stuff starts coming in that exceeds that, I'll drop it so that I always have a little bit of bandwidth left over for people getting to service two, three, four, and five. So how this relates to the cloud, I'm wondering is two part question. Number one, when I set up my, uh, my virtual gateway, do I have a choice of bandwidths I can select from? As far as, you know, if I think, well, I'm gonna need on average one gig going into this VPC or 10 gigs going to this VPC. Do I have any control over the bandwidth that VPC has to the outside world? And then on the heels of that policing, if I do say, okay, I'm gonna set up a 10 gig connection into this virtual gateway, is there some sort of policing I can do where I can say, you know what, I wanna make sure that, that no more than 50% of the inbound traffic at any given time is going to this particular virtual device because I don't want him hogging up all the bandwidth to the other devices that are also in that VPC.
0: So uh, here's, here's my simple answer to, the first question is a simple answer. And you know how much throughput do you get? It depends on how much you're willing to pay. Okay. It's really what it comes down to. You are buying bandwidth, and so uh, that, for example, is one reason why you might go with Direct Connect or ExpressRoute, mm-hmm. is because those are going to be higher bandwidth solutions than what you're going to get if you're going through VPN. All right, and even with the VPN, um, you're going to pay for different levels of performance. Mm-hmm. Right, and Not what you asked, but on a similar note, you know, the way that your uh, throughput is handled on the individual service level is actually based on the size of the virtual machine or EC2, right? So one of the things when you're setting up your cloud-based infrastructure, right? Or in many cases, also, if you're doing this as what's called platform as a service, and we're not gonna go down that road, but when you're setting stuff up, Right, one of the things you look at is, okay, what network performance do I need? Right, and you may end up going with a bigger machine that's never gonna be over, you know, whatever, 15% uh, processor and memory capacity, mm-hmm. just because you needed it to be at that level because it's doing a ton of network traffic, right? Mm-hmm. And the really interesting thing is, you know, I can, I, I can put one virtual machine or EC2 uh, into their data center or I could put 200. And it's, it's I don't have to worry about what that limit is because it's not limitless, right? And you know, you hear things, hey, uh, the uh, network, uh, there were some network problems in Azure or AWS or whatever. But effectively, I kind of treat it like it's unlimited network bandwidth. Mm-hmm. And I just say, okay, uh, this virtual machine has, you know, X five gig of network, uh, throughput, cool, right? Uh, or I need a bigger one because I need more network throughput on this machine. Hey, okay. um, we are pretty close. I didn't, I didn't hit the QoS. The simple thing is, if you're doing that on a connection, that's probably where you're going to want to look at one of the vendor solutions like Cisco. Okay. Because it's just going to give you better options. A couple of other quick questions I want to get to. I, I, I put this one off. This is a huge question. Uh, question from Igo again. Is cloud cheaper in the long run? Yes and no is the answer to that. Um, One, there are things that cloud can be much more cost-effective for. There are things that cloud can be more expensive for. Mm -hmm. I think what you're gonna find naturally going forward is more hybrid solutions out there than anything else. Because people are gonna find for certain activities, it's just cheaper to keep it in-house. And for other activities, they're gonna just realize massive savings or some savings, depending, going into the cloud. Um, One of the things you you need to think about with the cloud is, though it does go a little bit beyond cost, because you're also talking about availability Mm -hmm. and scalability, Yeah. right? All right, so it may cost me a little bit more at the level I'm running right now, but I can go up to essentially unlimited. I don't have to worry about running out of hardware in my data center. Uh, I was working at a place where they literally went to the cloud because they ran out of rack space for their Exchange servers. And they were like, we don't want to build another uh, data. Closet, yeah. That's another closet, it was really yeah. what it was. Um, great question. Microsoft Peering, do we need to own a public ASN and PI address space? Um, I don't, I will get back to you on that. I, I have an off the top of my answer, head answer, but I don't want to give you the off top of my head answer. Uh, so uh, Nerlin, I will get back to you on that. Um, we have one more. Uh, In a hybrid cloud deployment, I didn't pre-read this, so hopefully our uh, moderators is helping me out here. In a hybrid cloud deployment, public with connectivity requirements to a private cloud, does BGP still play a role in connectivity and redundancy of the connection? Absolutely yes. Actually, that's another simple question. The answer is yes. Um, If you're using a VPN connection, if you're going over the internet, uh, the BGP tends to be potentially optional. Um, And this is one where I've actually, uh, I've set this up in both Azure and AWS. I'm an Azure person. I actually found that a little easier and more straightforward in AWS. But the point is, it can be set up in both. Um, If you're going to private circuit, I know for a fact with Azure, and I believe, but I'm not certain on AWS, um, you actually have to use BGP uh, when you're going over Azure. For those of us that uh, aren't, and I know uh, the border gateway protocol, right? Mm -hmm. Um, quick question: We're out of questions, and I was told we're out of time. But with, with that
1: nice setup, could you quick explanation of what BGP is? Uh, BGP is a routing protocol. It's it was intentionally designed for massive scale. Originally designed for service providers who need to who the routers need to learn hundreds of thousands of routes. So that's its main benefit is for scalability. Uh, BGP also as a routing protocol gives you the most. Uh, control of routing protocols. If you're really into manipulating routing protocol and getting your fingers in there about controlling how it selects the best paths, BGP gives you that most flexibility.
0: Awesome, awesome, great. Uh, And you know, he mentioned scalability, right? Which is probably why it's that default protocol for the cloud VPN options and the cloud connectivity options. All right, well hey, that really wraps up the time we went a little bit over and uh, truly thank you all for tuning in this is an opportunity for me to just hang out with keith a little bit he's such a great resource um and uh we do appreciate you being in here fantastic questions i think i got straight answers to all of them except for one uh that i didn't want to give an off the top of my head answer to so i will get back to you on that thank you all again very much and uh, hopefully we'll talk to you soon